0: This is the voice of Carnage, and you are listening to Carnage Cast. Hi,
1: everyone! Welcome to Carnage Cast, episode forty-six. My name's Tyler, and with me are Toby, Dan, Hunter. And while you may be, you you would not be wrong in thinking, oh, surely they're going to talk about Carrying Crown in this episode because. This is the Carrying Crown crew, so far as you know them. Uh, actually, we're going to talk about uh, running role-playing games in general because we all do that from time to time. As you know, Hunter is our Carrying Crown uh, DM. That I am. Toby's been running a um, what? What's the word?
0: Yeah, it's a... a homebrewed race-specific adventure um, for Tengu characters in the Pathfinder. In the Pathfinder universe, ish.
1: Mm-hmm. And Dan, you run as
2: well. Yes, I'm running uh, right now an adventure path, Serpent's Skull, which is a, like Carrying Crown, one of Paizo's adventure paths.
1: Yeah, we're all very uh, Paizo Pathfinder centric at the moment. Yeah. And what did you run at Carnage
2: last year? Last year at Carnage, I ran one game. It was called the Maltese Race, and it was a, um, a an effort by since Carnage uh, last year was Carnage Noir. This was an effort for uh, a, a group of investigators to try and find the real Maltese Falcon. Right. You've seen the movie, of course. At the end, the bird's a fake. Spoiler. Sorry. Um, <laughs> so this is to uh, this is to find the actual Maltese Falcon, which was some kind of you know powerful artifact. That it, they found it, but they didn't. It's not like they used
1: it. It was a drive core to an alien spaceship.
2: Yeah. Sure. Why not? Yeah. Um, and uh, I think three players. Uh, it was pretty interesting. Um, I think one of them died.
1: That's a good kill ratio. Yeah, These things right. happen
2: in Call of Cthulhu. It was a Call of Cthulhu scenario. I'm going to run two games at the upcoming Carnage as well. Mm-hmm. So, how did you guys get into this? Like,
1: everybody starts out as a player usually, but who, who when did you make the jump to running a game, Hunter?
3: Um, you know, thinking about it just now, I started DMing in 2002, like early 2002. So I've been DMing for like 12 years now. Um,
1: 11 11 years.
3: Yes. (laughs) 11 and a half. Sure. Matt!
1: (laughs) (laughs) Gotta keep the the DM on us.
3: Yeah, right, right. Fudging those roles. Yeah, well, you know, that's half the job right there. Yeah. Um. (laughs) I started DMing because I was the only one who had read the books. Um, which I think is pretty much the reason every DM starts DMing is because they own the books and their friends don't. Um, which was exactly the case with me. I had a bunch of buddies of mine. We used to sit around on base and we had nothing else better to do. So I introduced them to the Dungeons and Dragons.
0: Hmm.
1: So
3: none of them had played before then? Hmm. A couple of them had played before, one or two of them, but I think I ended up introducing like three or four of my classmates to, uh, to Dungeons & Dragons. I got them I got them on 3.0, I believe, 2002, I think it was 3.0, 3.5, I don't think it would come around yet. Yep. And um, Spycraft started up sometime around there, too. That was 2002, 2003, I believe. And uh, Spycraft, oh man, they loved that game, that was a lot of fun. That was that was the um, Fast and the Furious and Triple X, like those movies had just come out in that general sort of time period, and the whole like crazy high-tech gadget ass-kicking sort of spy adventure theme was going strong. Mm-hmm. So we, uh, we ended up playing a game of that which sort of ran like Reservoir Dogs meets it's like sort of reservoir dogs meets grand theft auto because all of them had played grand theft auto so i'm like i'm just gonna take instead of just playing spies i'm just gonna take this modern day d20 system and then you guys can play you know morally ambiguous criminal types like grand theft auto style characters and oh we had a blast
1: so much fun
3: playing
0: that game
1: (laughs) That's sort of old-school, amoral people with immense resources running rampant.
3: Yeah, yeah. Doing doing work. I think they had to fight... One of them, I think, one of them was with the Yakuza. So they... And another one of them, another one of the guys decided it would be really fun to be a Westie. So they were running around and fighting... They fought the cops, I think, for a while, and there was like some mafiosa guys that they were clashing with, and various gangs that ran throughout the city, and they would just butt heads with all those guys and sounds, do various jobs for various, you know, dubious people. Sounds
0: like Shadowrun, which I know. yeah, I missed, it was a lot. It was a lot
3: like Shadowrun, except in the time. modern day era. It was a lot of fun. Spycraft was uh, was a fun game.
1: It remains fun. I think they just came out with a new edition. Hmm. You're a recent um, GM, aren't you, Toby?
0: I am. I'm a recent convert, so I started out as a player, and I played some, I think, 3.0 and some Shadowrun around the time Hunter started GMing, and then didn't play for a while. Um, and then Hunter and I started dating three and a half or four years ago, well. and that got me back to RPGs, which was good, and he has all the books ever so at some point I was sitting around
3: Dan has more books okay than so Dan I do has downstairs. more books but we
2: <laughs>
0: we, we have you know, <laughs> we have in our home an impressive volume of them as well and at some point I was bored one afternoon and needed something to do and so hunter hooked me up with one of the GM resource books and was like look here is a table you roll dice and answers come out and I was like <laughs> oh. <laughs>
2: <laughs> He's well known for love <laughs> oh, of oh, tables. Random, love random, rolling random rolling on tables. random tables, fact, I, it's I, the best. I determined you still do have my book of tables. I do?
0: Someone must. Oh. It's not downstairs. <laughs> I'll have to take a look for it. I do love random tables, and so <laughs> I also love storytelling and making things, and so in the course of probably about half an hour it took me to get hooked and surround myself with a stack of books and a notebook and lots of dice and erasers and everything. And five or six hours passed during mm-hmm. which not a peep was heard out of me, and <laughs> then I had the building blocks for the first adventure that I ran. Really? Yeah. And I've been hooked ever since. So.
2: Toby had the building blocks. Hunter had an entire Minecraft civilization. Same yeah. time period. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. now, I um also started as a player, mm-hmm. of course, because everybody basically does. Well, not everybody, but most. Uh, but I started with the red box. So that ye one's... oldie red box, not ye newie red box. Right, ye oldie red box. This was in probably 1984, 85. I wasn't born yet? No. There were no Toby's. <laughs> I'm not certain your parents had even met. They had. Alright, oh, well that's good. Um <laughs> and um uh start with the red box, you know, back when dwarf was a class, level six dwarf. Um, actually you couldn't be a level six dwarf, actually, because that's that's getting into expert role playing. Basic only got you up to level three. Yeah, easy. Let's keep this basic. <laughs> yeah. So you know your alignment was lawful, um, and alignment, <laughs> their alignments had languages. So uh, yeah, I speak lawful. Um, so I became the DM not too long after that. Well, because the kid who had the uh, who had the stuff that we learned to play with, he was a summer resident of the area. He would stay with his grandparents. Um, who lived down the street from me, uh, during the summers only. So he would then be, you know, gone all the rest of the year. But my brother and I sort of enjoyed it. So I bought, or I asked my parents to buy me the basic box, and then we started playing. And then, you know, we moved from basic into advanced Dungeons and Dragons, um, which was, but so much more complicated all of a sudden. But you know. so complicated. And then moved down through the years through. AD and D, then Second Edition, which they still called it Advanced for no good reason. Well, they were still publishing the uh, the Basic Rules stuff at the time, and then of course Third Edition, three point five and Pathfinder. Mm-hmm. So I've got all that stuff, and it's all in my basement, <laughs>
1: <laughs> the traditional dwelling place of the role-playing books.
2: Yes, mm-hmm. um, in fact, most of it's in in boxes now. Only the stuff I'm currently regularly using is gets shelf space. What about you, Tyler? What's your story?
1: Oh God! Oh yeah,
2: the host. I came yeah, in. Yeah, that, that guy.
1: I came in ass backwards. Um, I didn't. I never role played at all until like the early 2000s, and I didn't even role play then. I was like, I'm gonna do this, and so I bought some random RPGs off the shelf at Quarterstaff, and then had some the difficulty convincing people they'd be fun to play. Games yeah. like Feng Shui and Witchcraft. <laughs>
3: <laughs> that's usually did how it works. Gangbusters. That's did not get, entirely. Get, that's mm. not entirely backwards because usually what happens is you go to your, you know, your friendly local gaming store and you look around and you see a book on the shelf and you're like, Oh my God, I want that so bad! So then you buy it and then you have to drag your friends, kicking and screaming, into like whatever sort of campaign world you just, you know, purchased for eighty mm-hmm. so some odd dollars. Um I mean I've got I've got my Rogue Trader book the
2: Warhammer or the we
0: have several Rogue
3: Warhammer books. 40K I found the character book. I made from
2: that in the basement. Tonight.
3: Yes, I I have that book. I want to I want to run a campaign of that. I got a character Haven't made up of that. that we can do it. Yep. Yeah, well. I just bought Eclipse Phase. we we'll need to read the book and we'll just keep telling ourselves and we'll <laughs> play something other than Pathfinder. We have we
0: have the Marvel
3: the Mar the right the Marvel the Marvel heroes the Marvel RPG.
2: RPG that I really want to run. I can tell you the name of my first character. I just thought of it. What's that? It was Merlin, <laughs> and my brother's character <laughs> was He-Man.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you were Ooh. what ten? Yeah,
2: I was ten. He would have been eight or nine, depending on what time of <laughs> year it was. He was probably nine. It was summertime. Uh, yeah, He-Man. The yeah. fighter, he man, the fighter, level one, level <laughs> one. He wasn't all that. He still yet. slightly more original than Bob the fighter, I guess. Like, I well, you know, it's not original <laughs> at all. He, he was ripping off a clearly established televised property. That's true. That's <laughs> I at least true. was stealing from folklore, and this is only because the DM ran his DM PC, so Gandalf was already taken.
1: Wow. I don't know if Merlin and Gandalf can stand to be in the same party. It's really <laughs> conflicting forces. There might be a little bit of an ego We also ballpark.
2: rolled every die three times and took the best result. Every die in the game forever, or just stats? Well, mostly, no, for attacks and things okay. like that.
0: They were ten. Yeah, yeah, that's
2: that's fair. <laughs> fair. hey, Eric said that's how it worked. That's fair enough. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I I like the idea of curving results where you roll three dice and take the middle one. That's That's been a popular...
3: Um,
2: this was, I was geared towards Victor, and remember, there was a DMPC who
1: was very successful. I'm For later. some reason. Yeah, <laughs> amazingly <laughs> enough,
3: they always seem to be.
1: Well, if the GM's <laughs> going to be impartial, surely it's okay to have their own PC. Yeah, right, of course. You ever had a DMPC?
3: I have. Had, you know that I've had DMPCs. I introduced one in Carrying Ground.
1: That doesn't seem to no, count, though. Because you, you, you deliberately slack off on
2: that character's presence. He's also... Uh... You mean Sun. Yeah, he a short-term NPC helper. Hey, he's long-term and
0: sold his heart <laughs> I, No,
2: DMPC is when the DM has a full functioning yeah, um, character in the yeah. thing. who treasures. takes his
1: share of the treasure and oh, buys nicer weapons.
3: Um, yes, I have, I have had DMPCs. I've totally
2: done that as well, but after a while, it gets to be too much
3: work.
1: Well, for mine,
3: I did. Well, I mean, I had we had three players. You kind of need that fourth guy, and we they needed somebody on the front line. Yeah. So I just created an elven fighter who was an absolute slackass who, essentially, they just had to sort of carry along. He, like, he wouldn't go in, he would never lead the fright, like he'd never lead the charge, would never go down a hallway first, would, like, always sort of casually saunter in after everything had been cleared. Like, he was just, he was a lazy, he was a lazy slacker fighter and general person anyway, so it was really easy to just sort of role-play him.
1: <laughs> he was there to take the hits? Yeah.
3: Gear, <clears throat> help us help us search for secret doors is up. Yeah, I don't see any secret doors. Are, are you looking? Yeah, sure, I'm totally looking. I'm looking right now. I don't see any secret doors. Okay, because there's a secret door, like, right in front of you. Oh, yeah, I was just about to point that out to you guys.
2: Good job. Good teamwork.
3: <laughs> yeah, he was, he was a tool, and I love playing
2: him. He was so much fun. I remember when second edition came around, I made a character, which sometimes I was the DM for that group and sometimes another guy was. But I made a bard specifically because it used to be such an enormous pain in the ass to become a bard. (laughs) You had to be a wizard, a a druid, and a fighter. And this is in Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. You had to do levels in wizard, levels in druids, and levels in fighter. Then you could get into the bard class. That sounds
1: advanced.
2: Which was, (laughs) I might add, quite powerful. Um, it was like real like Irish bard type stuff, serious business, like barding. speak no lies, welcome everywhere kind of thing. Yeah, kind of thing. And also, this the magic was quite, quite fairly powerful as well. But You're really um, good
0: at whacking things. You had
2: to do a certain number of levels. I think start as a fighter, and then back then you would switch your class. And the way class switching worked in in first and second edition, see, mu- demi humans could multi class, but yep. humans could only. Dual class, I think they called it. So if I was a fourth level fighter and I then switched over to be a wizard because I wanted to be a bard, I had to not use my fighter stuff until my wizard level was at least uh, the equivalent, I think, of my fighter level. Or else you lost a whole bunch of experience points. I had to keep doing this and then become a druid for a while and then you become a bard and it was all magical.
3: It was so much easier for the other races because you just take your experience point total and you divide that in half. Right. But then you advance have like if you're yeah, if you're a rogue if you're a rogue fighter, half of your experience points go, go into rogue and half your experience points go into fighter. That
2: would have been but Thief fighter. At
3: the time yeah, thief. Mind. Right, <laughs> but all of the all of the level advancements were all the XP requirements were different for all the classes. So yeah. you advanced faster yes. as a fighter than you did as a thief. Oh no, God, I'm around. glad I that. the way, around faster as right? a fighter than it was a wizard,
2: though. Yes. Okay, so that's what it was. And that's one of the ways so then, they they handled imbalance in the classes. Yeah, wizards were super powerful, but it took more experience points yep. to level up. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. That tripped me up when I ran a um, I think it was a labyrinth lord game once, just to. It was an online movement towards running old-school dungeons, so we pulled out Labyrinth Lord. And I was like, yeah, everybody should make, you know, uh, I, I think I gave, I forget, uh, I think I gave them all a level to work with, and then someone out, you know, that doesn't actually work that way, because level work four rows, right? mm-hmm. that makes their, means they mechanically superior choices. So I was like, oh, right. right yes. you give if, like if you give XP everybody
3: totals. yeah
2: 4,000 XP, then. Yeah, I remember, if you become like a second-level fighter, it costs was, was 2,500 experience points. And on went second level, Wizard was like 3,000. Yeah. Rogue was like 1,500.
0: I remember being confused enough starting out with 3.0. I'm really glad I didn't have to deal with any of that nonsense.
2: Well, the, the Dungeons & Dragons started as a war game with miniatures and like measurements and things like that. And, and we still have miniatures. Yeah. And how. But, but it's, <laughs> it's not... A little bit lax on the
3: measurement. It's I like not, you guys. It's, uh, not
2: clearly, it's not anywhere near as like you know, complicated as it was. It started as like, like a tactical battle yeah. war game, yeah. and and it retained a lot of weird elements of that early on, I think. But now it's all game balance and yep. lots of game balance. The game is never balanced, let's be honest about balanced. that.
3: I think it's pretty close. It's I don't balanced. see a whole lot of glaring inconsistencies. My feminist
0: half-orc barbarian can kick anyone's butt at her approximate level. You uh... wipe the floor with your elf in that game.
3: Well, there's ways there's ways to counteract that. I've had I've had cler- I've been playing clerics and have had a raging barbarian run at me, and I'm like, hey, calm emotions, and immediately, cause you know, well, I get a plus two to my will save because I'm raging. Well, oh good, that makes sure you- we'll save a plus three then. Like you're still gonna <laughs> fail these rolls. I've had raging barbarians come at me raging, and then hit them with calm emotions. They immediately lose their rage and then are immediately fatigued.
0: <laughs> like, yeah, it's pain. Yeah. Good and luck, good luck fighting
3: voice. while you're fatigued, Barbarian. Yeah. <laughs> Fun times.
0: So, how many PCs has everyone killed?
3: I have killed so many PCs. Technically, I've killed each of you once. Mm-hmm. So, true. I mean, we're already, like, I've yep. already killed all three of you once. So, I've got that. So, you but, just need to even out two, the rest of the group. Tyler yeah. and I
0: only briefly. We got yeah. better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, eventually, I mean, Thadimus gonna,
3: to... eventually, Thadimus is gonna. Eventually, is gonna run out of those dimension doors. No, it's Andrus. And I'm just oh, gonna... Andrus is gonna run out of luck someday. <laughs> you that, never Andrus knock, has failed more saving throws <laughs> but, than uh, all of you combined. There's a
1: tiny patch of unscarred tissue. I couldn't think of how many I've, I've actually
2: not that many. Maybe
0: inside his name. There was a
2: long. There was a really strong, like, desire in my gaming group for people to not permanently die. So there weren't a whole lot of deaths. I think. Uh, we did have a, I did have one total party kill. They, they really did the very poor job in that uh, encounter. But um... I believe it was Barry's frenzied berserker oh, in your in your
3: campaign yeah, that I guess you I ran for us,
2: and he died like five times. Yeah, Barry never came, so people just played his character as a disposable meat killer. No, even <laughs> even Barry playing Barry yeah, has gotten yeah. himself killed. We've, we got to
3: the point when we were like 15th or 16th level because when you get up to those sort of levels, death is just a minor monetary inconvenience. Oh God. And we would, we would just carry around like a dust bin and like a trash bag and like and a charred mutilated corpse. Like whatever was left, like the smoking remains of like a fireball spell or like blood splattered smear, we just, scoop it up into a bag and like we'd bring it back to the town just, mail just it back. Don't toss it to the cleric and be like when you get him back up and running just tell him that we're down we're <laughs> like five store we're five blocks down at the bar and like he would just resurrect him
2: over and over and over again a, you know what i just realized what barry's that barbarian's character's name was which now is it has a totally different meaning this whole thing looks totally different now that was chang Yes, it was. His name was Chang. He's the Drow Chang. Barbarian? <laughs> no, he was... Um, he's a half-orc. He's a half-orc. But In true Barbarian he's, style. He's, he named him after the Klingon General Chang. Sure. And um, But yeah, his name was Chang, and now having yeah. to watch Community, that's all very different for me now. That's very funny.
3: <laughs> but yeah, Chang died so many times. And yeah, we Chang just got
2: used much. to it. I mean, he got
3: used to it, too. Like, just scoop him into a bucket, and whatever was left, pour it out on a table.
0: I haven't killed anybody yet.
3: Nope.
0: Knocked nope. people down. You guys almost all ended up dead by fungus. fungus. Mm, um yeah. But someone managed to succeed on a save or something just in time to save all the rest of your sorry butts. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, that I, was bad. I didn't wake up for a little while in that fight. <laughs> what, about, uh, what about you, Tyler? Do you got any... Kill many players?
1: I can't think of any, but that's because I tend to run convention games where you sort of don't want to kill people to the last hour. Yeah. And at that point, you know, and that's, I just that's so, pretty fair. I never tend to run the really combat-focused genres, so you don't want to. There's not always an opportunity for murder and mayhem unless mm-hmm. they decide yeah. to bring it into play, and then okay, that's
2: fine, we'll do that. Yeah, I've only I've only played one game of yours, and there was never any indication that there would be ever be that much violence.
0: Well, that was true of the first. Tengu module as well is that it was more story-based and linguistics-based and mm-hmm. more about figuring things out than about hitting things with something heavy. I yeah. appreciated
3: that. That was
1: good. That was good. I remember the when the leaf fleshies came along was like, oh, we have to murder small children. And then... <laughs> nope, <it's laughs> no, real? we did not.
0: We did not have to murder small children. In fact, you got an XP bonus for playing with them and playing yep. along with their little game. Tolerating. The word is tolerating. Tol- <laughs> tolerating. Yeah. Uh, rather than hitting them. There would have been some pretty harsh penalties had you actually harmed one of them.
3: Mm-hmm. Probably with that Karigigame coming out of a tree and punching us all
2: unconscious. The, co- the Kodama would the have Kodama,
0: kicked yeah. your butt <laughs> <and> had you <laughs> proved yourselves a threat.
2: Yeah, That seems terrible to me right now is I have a lot of ideas for things to run, but no real ability to do it all.
1: It's G-M-A-D-D.
2: Yeah. Everybody well, it's not only it. like that. It's like it's it's also like, okay, I have this idea, and that idea, and the other idea. Well, I mean, there's only so many days in the week, and I do other things besides this. Lies. <laughs> um. So, yeah. I mean, I have ideas for when 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 the fifth edition of Shadowrun drops in stores in.
0: First Ooh. week of
2: mm, September. I'm going to buy that. I want to run some Shadowrun <laughs> oh, stuff. Oh,
0: I miss Shadowrun.
2: Well, you'll have an opportunity.
0: I want to remake my librarian with a flamethrower. And um,
2: great. and and uh, I've got. I just bought Eclipse Phase, and I want to read that. And that's you know pretty neat stuff. Post human, um, stuff that looks like a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And I've been thinking about ideas for some, you know, Call of Cthulhu type stuff, maybe using Trail of Cthulhu and see how that goes.
0: I have a million different ideas for things I want to make. Because so the a lot of the fun for me, it turns out, as much as I love random tables, is actually <laughs> making things from scratch. So making the new monster and designing the new encounter yeah. and all of that is really great. And I have a million ideas that I don't have time to even sit down and flesh out, let alone run.
3: And Toby tells me about all of these fantastic things. I but can't tell you can't details. give me any of the details. <laughs> so Toby's like, oh I wanna bounce this this creature concept off of you but and I'm like, but you know, I just want to get your opinion. I'm like, opinion on what? And Toby's like, I can't tell you. Like, of course you can't tell me. You're probably
0: gonna be in whatever I run. Yeah, and, and, you need to and find somebody else. So that me that doesn't the...
3: keep you from telling me that you really want to tell me oh, about a monster concept. because otherwise it... I'll
0: explode because I'm doing so much making of new things for the upcoming Tengu modules because mm-hmm. I've decided that's gonna be a full length thing and it's gonna be really cool what and I'm mean, making like... all this neat stuff and. I'm doing it all at home in our living room, and I can't let you look at it, let alone tell you, because yeah. you're running a character. You need That's to find true. somebody else you can talk
2: to about it. I
0: know, but game. everyone else I would talk to is playing, or has expressed interest in playing, and so yeah. should still be kept so in so dark. You could talk to Jeff. I could maybe? talk to Sarah actually when she goes. Uh, Sarah, who's been playing right. from Boston, when she, when she goes when to law school and she can't play again. with us anymore, yes. I could tell her about it. Yes, you can't really
3: bounce ideas off of her because she's not really a DM. But
2: right, well,
0: you know, she at least you like, can at least she could, she'd at least be appreciative. You can release yeah. the pressure um, yeah. while listening to my ideas for the coolest thing in the history of things.
1: <laughs> so you're maintaining laser-like focus on the Tengu world no. and pop- <laughs> Fitting it.
0: <laughs>
3: no, no, no.
0: Um, <laughs> I have been giving a lot of energy to that. But when I thought I was still going to make it to Carnage this year. Um, I was looking at doing an underwater thing um, because aquatic adventures are really neat but really hard to just slot into a campaign because trying to bring land-dwelling creatures underwater is just a major hassle. And nobody
2: took ranks in swim. And nobody I've, took ranks in swim. I've done it. I've done it. It is a pain. You end up um, having to basically give the PCs, here's some ways for you to basically be underwater dwellers now. Everybody
3: everybody gets a helm of underwater breathing. Remember that? There. Everybody
2: got that amulet that let you breathe yeah. water and... and free action move when you guys did the embassy to the crayfish people
0: yes but that's the sort of thing that's great for a convention setting because you can just do a one-off so you can just run an adventure for a couple hours that really explores the themes of the water and like i said i like making things up so expanding some water dwelling um playable races and tweaking some class archetypes to be more focused as a native underwater class and that kind of thing that's sort of three quarters done and then i feel it it then I realized I wasn't gonna to get to Carnage this year, so, eh.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but there are a couple other little like one-off idea and projects like that that might happen someday. I don't know, but we need to schedule the next Tangy thing because that's ready. Mm-hmm. The next session is ready. I would totally
2: like to schedule that because the Tangy thing is tons of fun. It is. It's a lot of fun. You can also save that underwater thing for the next try, the next. Try. Yeah,
0: yeah. It just I needs play testing,
1: that. and then you can go run it.
2: Yeah.
0: yeah.
1: Play testing with us. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, I'm. Um, I mean, I just play in in Crown, but um, I feel like I'm getting pulled between wanting to. I need. I need to finish up my Ghostbusters adventure for this year, hmm. it, which uh, you guys get to play test, Ooh. and um, and I keep thinking about what I what I want to run at some point in the future because I have completely forgotten how much work it is to prep a not out
2: of the book campaign. Yep, that's <laughs> a it. lot of prep work. That's why I started. That's why I did the. Yeah. Um, Decided to do Serpent Skull when I wanted to run again. I mean, I've got a job. And, and yeah,
3: stuff.
0: pick up well, pick up one of the
2: pre-gen books.
0: The format that we've been using for the Tengu playing is conducive to that because we, you know, don't meet for three months, then we meet for like a full day at a go. Yep. And so yeah. it, I don't have to try to pull the new stuff every week, every week, every week, every week. And yeah. It works really yeah. well. making new And you stuff can remember what happened well. in oh, gameplay more. three hours ago yeah. better than. Yeah. Yeah. But
1: not three months ago. That's but where I fall down. Three months down. ago, three so months ago is do, a little. we
0: do need recaps.
3: Previously on Tengu Island.
0: (laughs) Previously on Lands Bereft.
3: (laughs) So Toby, you're you're the newest you're the newest player, or the newest Newest DM, so to speak. Um, what what have you learned from DMing? What are your what are your primary tenets that you've sort of adopted for yourself as part of being a DM?
0: Um it goes best when I'm invested in the adventure and in the encounter. So the encounters that are more carefully crafted are more fun to run. Um, it's also important not to coddle the players.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
0: I'm, that's something that's the hardest for me as I'm still figuring out encounter balance and because I'm making a lot of things up new I'm sometimes shifting the balance away from you know whatever the creature I'm using as a template the new creature is a little bit different. and Is it going to actually be the same difficulty for the players? Is it not? I don't know. Um, and I have a tendency to try to, to want to pull punches, and I shouldn't because the PCs should learn about actions and consequences and their decisions need to have weight um, and the creatures need to have importance. Um, but I still worry about getting it wrong. But so far it's been mostly alright. Um, what else? I have to keep being reminded usually by you to do more visual descriptions of what the players can see and what they can interact with, which is difficult.
3: Yeah, that's a difficult That's a difficult thing to sort of get a handle on, yeah. is that because you're the DM and you've spent so much time working on a dungeon, you can see it all perfectly in your head. So then you're like, well, you come up over the rise and you see the dungeon and they're like, what does it look like? And you're like... Well, you guys go to the front door, and they're like, no, what what do you mean, like, what does it look like? And you're like, well, it looks like, and, you know, you can see this beautiful, ornate dungeon with, like, the vines creeping up the walls and the beautiful studded oak and doors made out of dark wood, and, like, they can't see any of that because you haven't told them any of that, (laughs) like...
0: <clears throat> yeah, and it's... the difference, the sort of balance there between giving them the information they need versus dictating to them what mm-hmm. they are aware of and what they are doing as an extension. Um, so, it, you know, I don't want to tell them about this detail or that detail. I want them to look for it. Yep. So, you know, where is right. the balance between letting them have the agency and giving them the information they need to make the right or the right choices, any choices, some sort of choices. Yes,
1: <laughs> I've i found it it, it it tends to fall at far in, far ends of the spectrum. Rather, it's like you're going to hand us the plot token now, yep. uh, versus we've grabbed onto this thing has nothing to do with anything you've written down, but we're gonna r- <laughs> run with that ball.
2: So good luck. Yeah, um, yeah, that's that's super frustrating sometimes.
0: Yeah, how to deliver information subtly. Yep. Um, puzzles. I was so amused by the door puzzle. Than how long it took you guys to work that out, but I was puzzles, fascinated by the idea. Puzzles that you had. can
3: either be really fun or they can be the most god I mean, awfully frustrating. TV. You gotta know your, you gotta know your group. You
0: guys, <laughs> for Hunter and Dan, you gotta do you know think your of group you ha- the door puzzle. How did that go for you? I think it I, was, I thought it in my brain, it as the DM was accessed all the information that it was fairly simple and fairly really easy to interact with and well, figure it out.
2: We had the, 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 the one with the holes. The yeah, holes. yeah. The marbles in. Yeah, I think I didn't. Quite visualize it properly, mm. um, from the description. Because when when it was done, I was like, "Oh, I see what she's saying now." Okay, um, I don't even remember who figured it out. I think, I think Sarah, Sarah recommended because yeah, yeah, we well, were pouring with them. Oh yeah,
3: right. Of course. Um, Sarah was <laughs> local. Sarah.
0: I think it was one. local. Sarah. Yeah, <laughs> I think local. Sarah. As you guys figured out that the holes were significant, and you yeah. were pour- pouring and sticking various things into them. We were pouring water
3: into it because we thought it might be water-based. It was was a
0: puzzle. The door was a slab of a meteorite stone that was heavily pitted, and on close examination you could see that some of the holes had been either man-made or um, deepened by actual use of tools, and in a previous treasure room you'd found a bunch of random mundane stuff, including a bunch of very heavy ball bearings, and those fitted into the holes and activated a weight panel and move the door and open the door was the deal but it took it took you a while to realize what could go yeah i
3: think it was the randomness the randomness of the things that we found in that room was oh toby just rolled four (laughs) since you all know that i
0: love random tables (laughs) yeah
3: i think well maybe metagaming maybe metagaming shot us in the foot I don't, think, I don't think all of us were metagaming that thought, but right. I think it was just like, well, we have a bunch of marbles and we have a block of a block, block of wax <laughs> yeah. and like some tattered faded clothes. So like the, I other, don't the think... other
0: fun thing about that though was I mostly picked and I did actually pick I didn't roll for um, all of those random mundane items to disguise the ball bearings so that you didn't just find like some swords and a bag of ball bearings. Because that would have been it. Yeah, mm. that would have given
3: it away but for sure. But
0: you guys then took the mundane treasure and did interesting things with it. So you used your wax to make an imprint of some of the ancient oh. text on the yep. wall, and you know, using chalk or charcoal to make rubbings and just it, I, yeah, the interesting that recall, how things happen time, when provided with red herrings. Yeah,
2: as I recall, every time you described some crap we found, I wrote it down. Yep. yep. Yeah, right. I assumed rather, and I and this is why I actually figured the the, the wall the the door out earlier. Is I assumed all of it had, a put, most of it rather, that had, probably had a potential use. And I just didn't realize it on yeah. the uh, marbles, I guess. that's
0: mm-hmm. yep. uh, that's and that's, So that's an example of things that were really interesting and unexpected for me, is what you guys decided to do with the stuff. So giving you more information in that event was really entertaining for me as a DM.
1: <laughs> was it entertaining at the time as players?
2: Yeah, I think so. I think... It only was about a half an hour probably of futzing about. Yeah, less, really, it wasn't every, a whole lot every, of time. Every we few were.
0: minutes that went by with you getting hitting dead ends, I would let someone make a check to try yeah. to have a new idea. I mean, the... I had an experience
2: like that as well where I designed this tower and they needed to get into the tower and the way to get into the tower was to knock, no, not knock on the door was to ask to be let in. Like the whole like, you know, speak friend and enter. Yep. And then you know, after a while Gandalf's like what metadon, oh okay. But um, they they had to ask to get into the tower and it was three or four hours. And they would discuss asking they said, Maybe we just have to ask to get in. I was like, Oh, do you want to do that? I'm like, no, I don't think that's what it is. I'm like, Okay. I mean all they had to do is say, Yeah, we try that. But they didn't want to look I guess they didn't want to appear to be wrong. Yeah, maybe I don't know. It was it was forever and I, I couldn't think this was many years ago. I could not think of a way to speed it up. This was before there were you made checks for that stuff.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, early Dungeons and Dragons definitely had a uh, if you the player's brain is not agile enough, too damn bad. Yeah, ethos to it. <laughs> and um, nowadays, of course, you can make you know knowledge player checks knowledge and, versus and, character knowledge and stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, knowledge but,
0: checks or wisdom checks. Yeah, yeah, well,
2: you could make intelligence checks and stuff like that, but they were not easy to pass. Um, and it was just it went on for so long, and. They eventually got it. I was like, say, they talked about hey, maybe we should just ask to be let in. I was like, you want to do that? Finally, someone said yes.
1: I think um, I've I've found situations like that where I expected them to think or realize a certain thing and then I I I think it's usually cut to the chase of, well, in my head I'm thinking, you know what, whatever they try next needs to be what works for them because they need to get they've done the work, they've gotten past the barrier. It wasn't the way I expected them to get past the barrier, but Barrier circ- circumvented. Well done. Let's move on.
2: Yeah, I wish I'd thought of that at the time, but I was. This is probably before high school.
0: Maps are great. <laughs> <laughs> so great. The more maps you can make, I think, the better things go. Um, not necessarily. You know, players should be responsible for some of their own maps, but to be like, here is a map of the town. How do you want to move around it? And that kind of. Thing. That's
2: actually you say players should be responsible for some of their own maps. That's something I wanted to ask about. Typically speaking. When I'm doing, when I'm running something that involves a dungeon crawl, so to speak, where it's like this room's connected with doors and stuff like that, I usually draw the map for the players because i found describing it to them, they don't, you know, I'm like, okay, it's 40 yeah, feet a, on that side and then it goes hassle. in 10 feet in yeah. this door. And then it, I found it's just easier to look at my map, draw the room and where the doors are.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah
2: I well, think that's, that's what you do
3: for carrying crime. That's what I do. Yeah. I, I don't bother to try and I mean, because you, you try and do the 30 feet on the left wall, and the person sitting on the other side of you, so they draw their their 30 feet on the right side of the board, and you're like, ugh. And then, <laughs> and then all they need to do is forget one door on the map, and they are so totally, yeah. like, every, like, the game just grinds to a halt. Like, you're
0: DM having,
3: might as well just draw it. It's so much easier. You all haven't hit
0: a dungeon crawl type scenario in the Tengu campaign yet, but my goal for that is to take sort of a hybrid approach in that I will draw individual rooms and doors, but if you want to remember where you've been, you've got to write that down. That's reasonable.
1: Does that, uh, the players drawing the map, does that grow out of um, the earlier editions where there there was less of a tactical map element? Because when when Hunter draws the map, it makes sense because the tactical map is a tactical map. And it needs to be right for everyone to move around in it. Yeah. But in the old days, when you're just opening doors and checking what's in the room.
2: Yeah. yeah. Back before people used miniatures. Yeah, that that uh, thirty foot movement thing didn't really. For what? For whatever. We think miniatures and and the grid combat system is pretty integral in in Dungeons and Dragons, Pathfinder, etc., like that. Earlier, you know, in Advanced Dungeons, and Dragons, your move was like expressed like this movement nine inches because you <laughs> measured and and you moved your guy nine inches um, if you used miniatures at all which I never did until at least into high school or past high school
0: imagination theater yeah,
2: yeah. which you can still do and that's what I did for the Maltese race at Carnage mm-hmm. but it can be that is that can be a real bear in a combat situation because so you immediately get into discussions of like no, you're not near the high priest. You ran over to fight the ogre. Well, the ogre is next to the high priest, and I'm like, no, he's not, <laughs> no, because yeah. I know where they are. And I th- I like, again, that I like sort of that sort of falls under the
3: that sort of falls under the explaining everything to your players, because you know where the high priest is, and you know where the ogre is, and you know where the stairs are, and you know what the distance is. And then the players are like, well, I'm just going to attack the ogre, and you're like, okay. You're attacking the ogre and the other person's like, Well I'll stand over by my friend and I'll attack the high priest and you're like, You can't do that. Yeah, he's thirty feet wide. <laughs> like, like he's this on the other is, side of the room this, near the stairs. Yeah, this yeah. gets into the whole like you have to run you have to run past the ogre and your friend and up the flight of stairs to get to the altar where there are the you didn't say there was an altar and you didn't say there were any stairs and you're like yeah. Okay. I'm going to describe the room again, and I'm <laughs> going to explain where the ogre is again. Just,
2: oh, just try. Yeah. On. Using using the battle mat <laughs> is significantly easier. It's a lot easier. And it
0: lets us have minis, which are a great fun. Right.
2: Yeah. So. And and D and D and its legacy games are combat oriented. You need to know where people are in combat. Mm-hmm. Yep. You don't need a battle mat for Call of Cthulhu necessarily. Because if you
0: get into combat and in call of Cthulhu, you're already doomed. Yeah, well, you're you know, already you might... going <laughs> to die. Anyway, you might
2: so... just be shooting some cultists or something. You're probably okay. Oh, yeah, cultists but are all right. If there's yeah. some thing from the, you know, <laughs> wherever, you're, you're unlikely to win. Well, that's what I like about the really ultra light, and by ultra light, I mean
1: Cthulhu Dark uh, rule set, where as soon as you get into a fight, you die. You might win the fight, but you're dying as a result of having a fight.
2: I haven't heard the Cthulhu Dark rule set. It's a
1: pamphlet, it's got like three. It folds <laughs> over. Handy. Yeah. Quick <laughs> rules. Yeah. Yeah. So Toby mentioned this earlier, um, which you mentioned crafting an encounter, and I'm wondering where where do you guys like to work within you know, you've you've built all the specifics out versus the players are like, well we're gonna try this and this and this and I was like, well, one of these things has got to work or the players aren't gonna get anywhere. Do, do do you do you like to go in with a prescribed procedure of what's going to happen? in terms of a specific encounter or where the routes are going to take them? Do you sort of roll with what the players are coming up with because you didn't expect it? I
2: think it depends on the encounter. Some are more significant than others to go a certain way if you're doing something with a story. If they go in to talk to some important guy, the high priest, and and they want to continue with the story, they know they need to talk to him about X. If they don't talk to him about X, then you don't get much out of it, but... Some things people go. I mean, I assume you're talking about non-combat encounters generally. Generally, um, yeah, because combat is going to be ruled by you, the dice. You're going to you're going to fight, and then once somebody wins, you go on from there. Yeah, I haven't. I don't think I've done a whole lot where they could go in and do something completely herring in a totally different direction, unless that was the deal of the campaign. Mm-hmm. If there was like an actual like quest they were on, so to speak, then. Most encounters either contributed or or derailed them deliberately. As in their enemies were attempting to derail them sort of thing.
0: I'd try to work on a multiple choice scenario. Yeah. And it, like when you guys encountered the Lunith, there were three possible mm-hmm. outcomes that I'd yep. come up with. If you attacked it, it was gonna do you some damage and disappear. If you did not interest it, so if you didn't engage with it in a role playing way, it would not harm you, but it would not help you. And if you made any... Particular efforts, but really any effort to engage with it on its level, it would assist you in, an, in right. an additional bonus way. So, I've also been trying with the Tengu campaign to deliberately design learning opportunities for myself, in that the initial adventure started off very linear, the next segment is branching, and you'll Hit a sandbox segment eventually. Spoilers. So there's a sort of hex crawly component coming up later. I'm going
1: to open a pawn shop. Because
0: <laughs> <laughs> I need <'cause>... to. <laughs> yeah, watch out! People do that kind of crap. Hey, they we've really got do. a handbook for that now. Um, so yeah, I want, I want to, I want to try Sweet. that kind of different encounter structure. So because I haven't had a lot of experience with different ones, so I'm setting up deliberate opportunities for them to happen in different ways. You're going to set but up I think a pawn shop to... in the
2: middle of a dead zone. The magical dead zone. <laughs> did you um? Did you expect speaking of the tam- Tango campaign? The amount of uh, interest some of us had. I think it was maybe just me in like promoting trade relations between these various groups. I
0: did. There's a structure in my notes for how to account for it and changes that happen in them. So recall, I've been I've been logging various efforts and keeping track.
2: I was I was very. Somebody was thought it was a waste of time. You. Yeah, you thought it was boring. <laughs> my,
3: my, I no, I think it's fine. My character thought it yeah. was a waste of time and a horrible yeah. idea. You thought it was a waste of
2: time, <laughs> but uh, my, my guy was very interested in making in like you know promoting, establishing trade, and there you know, there are various cultural.
0: tiers of diplomatic relations, okay. and I'm tracking your progress through them.
1: All right, guys. Uh Closing thoughts. Your dream campaign, go.
0: I love the Tengu campaign. I really hope it makes it to completion because I, I know the great. I know the great grand boss at the end. I know who it is. I know what it is. I know the motives, and it's yeah. really cool. Start I hope at the end and work there. backwards. Well yeah. done. You can yep. do that. So,
2: Dan, same question. Same question. So that's hard to say. Um, I think getting my uh, the Orange campaign that I ran when you had your troll cleric. That guy was great. Doing that and having it, doing it in a way that I was more satisfied with it, would be great. That, that I had a neat world that I that I drew out and some interesting races, uh, the the and the and the dwarfs. Mm-hmm. I thought that would be pretty great, but I, I ultimately it was starting to get to the point where I wasn't very satisfied with it, and it, it broke up for other reasons besides my dissatisfaction. Um, but that would be kind of fun to do again.
3: I would say that right now um, I would really enjoy taking the Marvel Heroes RPG and converting it over to the Necessary Evil uh, book, guidebook that I think Savage Worlds came out with a few years back. Now, which Marvel game is this? This is the Marvel one that's based on a variety of
0: it's a dice pools. Yeah,
3: different dice, but all sort of combined into one large die pool that and, you roll simultaneously. And there's a Doom and pool and yep, the yep. Doom pool one. Okay. This isn't this isn't you know Champions. No, this isn't <laughs> Champions. It's, it's much the same thing. I mean, it's just, it's a lot like Mutants and Masterminds, but I okay. would really it's a really good the die pool system is really good. The the Doom pool system is really good. I would really like to take that. I would love to run. A a suicide squad, sort of bad guys being forced to be good
1: kind of um, necessary evil campaign. Yeah, that's the big hook in there where all the heroes are gone.
3: Yeah, the alien invasion happens and all of the heroes heroes immediately take off to the skies and fight. And they get their asses kicked by the aliens. So all of the heroes are either dead or imprisoned or have gone into hiding. And you're all playing supervillains who... Cairo, you know, just lay low! <laughs> like, didn't come out while the aliens were subjugating the entire human race. And um essentially Doctor Doom, it's not Doctor Doom, obviously, but essentially a, a character much like Doctor Doom shows up and comes knocking on your door and is like, all the heroes are dead and gone, so you're gonna help fight the alien menace. And you're like, No, I'm not and He's like yeah, you are. <laughs> and essentially, Doctor Doom recruits all of your, you know, evil, not not like evil, evil, but bad guys, essentially, um, into fighting as a team and fighting off the alien invasion in lieu of superheroes, because you are humanity's last best hope. And I would love to run a Marvel, a Marvel campaign. You, you know, you don't obviously you don't have to play Marvel superheroes. There's a fantastic guideline system for creating your own character. You just create your own supervillain and fire up the necessary evil campaign. i oh I'd love to run that. That'd be a lot of fun. What about you?
1: Uh my my thoughts these days are mostly about Ghostbusters. I still think it's possible to run a Ghostbusters campaign. Oh what about it- Jeff's Inspector's thing?
2: Yeah, it's sort of inspector. I, uh, I, in, I just put the inspector stuff in its own folder in the basement this morning. We
3: really need I uh, because I didn't get to play that, no. gentle listeners. Mm-hmm. No.
2: You were uh
1: visiting your parents, I believe.
2: I
3: mm-hmm.
1: was. No, we gotta pull we gotta get Jeff to pull that out someday when we're not doing carrying crown. And you okay. wanna do a Ghostbusters? Thing? Oh yeah, I wanna do like at least a limited run Ghostbusters, maybe where it's a build up to um a Gozer like climax.
2: I wouldn't mind I you going that. back to your uh, cabal thing where we all work at Martin's University. Yes,
1: cabal at Martin at uh, Martin's I University. I really enjoy playing to... the
2: Comte de Saint Germain. We
1: don't we don't want to do a
3: Burlington version where Cthulhu comes out of Lake Champlain and we fight him <laughs> on the waterfront. Can stand, out, we can all stand. We can all stand on top of the. Um, all the cultists
1: are French Canadians. Yeah, right. We can we can stand Put up on, right? on top
3: of the Echo Center
1: building and we can shoot Cthulhu with. Uh, if you're standing, it's warping. Oh yeah, true. That's more Jake's thing. Yeah, that's true. yeah. Or Northern Crown because who doesn't love alternate history, crazy fantasy colonialism? That would Definitely be fun. Too. Too. It's
3: great. Yep. Yeah.
1: All right, I think that's gonna wrap it up for this episode of Carnage Cast. Thank you everybody for coming on and talking about your experiences. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. It's been fun.
0: You've been listening to Carnage Cast, a production of NNEG LLC, all rights reserved. For more information, visit us at www.carnagecon.com.